We good to go? Okay. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning. We are blessed to once again be together and gathered for worship here at Church of the Atonement. My name is Pastor Ryan, and I'm a senior pastor here. That's for all those who aren't a part of our regular gatherings and might not know who I am. Uh, we are so thankful that we get to continue to meet together in person, to have 
uh, spaces available throughout our building to adore God and to seek His help and to come to His Word to be strengthened and nourished for our journey of faith and for the mission that He has called us into. Uh, Just a couple of quick reminders for you all here uh, in our building as well as you at home, just to let you know that in our building you'll find hand sanitizer stations that are spread throughout the the facility. Please be sure to, to make use of those. Bathrooms are open and available on every level except the third floor, so please don't Uh, access the bathrooms up there. Use the ones that are down um, on the first and second floors. Um, Also, want to let you know that offering and tithes can be given online. It's very convenient, very easy to sign up for that and and, uh, be a part of uh, giving in that way through our website. But if you'd like to give it in person, I know some people still like to use checks or cash and, and drop it off here on Sundays. We don't have any plates being passed, but we do have an offering box just outside the sanctuary. There are also offering collection boxes in the chapel and down in the gathering space. Ushers can help you find those if you need help finding them. Um, And uh, the last thing I wanted to highlight this morning is that we are still encouraging the symptom-free wellness policy. It's really important that we take care of one another. If we've got symptoms, we don't know what's going on, just hold off on attending uh, worship with us through virtual worship until you know what's happening with your body. Um, it's COVID and coronavirus. Uh, it's a sneaky, uh, it's a sneaky disease. So we're trying to keep our, our eyes on that, and make sure we're taking care of one another. And I also just want to reiterate that that applies also to uh, people who are gathering as small groups offsite, not here at the church. Please try to use that policy and, and hold the, yourself to that policy, just so that we're taking care of one another. Well, I'd like to ask you if you would please stand for this morning's call to worship, which comes to us from Psalm 108. Stand as uh, I read for us this Psalm of David. David writes, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody, listen to this part, with all my being, not just our voices. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. And we gather this morning because He has answered. He has given us salvation through the precious work of Jesus Christ. I would invite invite you to uh, go ahead and be seated as we begin worship this morning. Feel free to hum along uh, with our gathering song, Holy Spirit.
For those of you who are looking at a screen, there's a line um, that you can see right at the top. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. And indeed, part of our worship is to offer our prayers to the Lord and prayers of confession that are in line with a contrite heart, a heart that is humble before God, that is aware of His holiness and what He calls us to, uh, to be as His people And so it's right that we should continue worship this morning with a prayer of confession, assurance, and and seeking His help as we come to His Word. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You so much for the privilege of being called Your people, to be called Your children. And we know, Lord, we do not deserve that title. For in many ways, we look at ourselves and at our lives and we see that we look nothing like you. We don't have kindness as you have it. We don't have grace as you have it. We don't show love as you show it. There's so many ways in which we fall short of your standards. But you call us to be your children. And you encourage us to repent and to confess and to seek forgiveness through Christ. And so in this time of worship, we ask that you would call to mind, Lord, things that we have done, things that we have said, things that we have thought. And Lord, those things that we may be unaware about, those things that are left undone or unsaid or unthought. Father, in all those ways that we have not lived according to your law. We ask for your forgiveness and we pray, Father, that you will hear us in this moment of silent prayer as we confess our sins before you.
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a way to have the burden of sin relieved. To know that guilt and condemnation and feelings of shame don't need to remain. That you call us to change. And that is not by our own power, but your power at work in us. We thank you for the assurance that we have. The assurance that comes to us in the Scriptures that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, help us to rest in that promise. Help us to trust that you have heard our confessions and for our sorrow over our sin and our trust in Christ, they are forgiven. Fill our hearts with rejoicing. Replace the sorrow with joy. And Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Help us not to take the position of standing over your word as if to judge it. But Lord, help us to have humble hearts and open minds so that we might take the position of sitting under your word, that we might be taught by it. For all these things, Lord, we Offer these requests up to you. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning's children's message is a very, very, very important story that we have in Scripture. It's so important, it's actually written in the Bible three times. We have four Gospels that tell us about Jesus and what Jesus did and who Jesus is. And in three out of four they wrote this story down because it's so important. And here's the story. One time, Jesus was doing ministry, and people were coming to him, and these people were mommies and daddies. And you know what they were bringing to Jesus? They were bringing their children to Jesus. They wanted their kids to meet Jesus. Have you ever been at the mall whenever Santa Claus is there, right? And your mommy and daddy wants you to meet Santa Claus and sit on his lap. It maybe looked a little bit like that, but more meaningful. Because they're not just asking, what do you want for Christmas? They were hoping Jesus would pray over their children and bless their children. And so they were bringing their children to Jesus. Well, Jesus' disciples you know, like Peter, who walked on water, and we read his letter over the last couple weeks, and John, his disciples saw this, and they were thinking, Jesus is so busy. We can't have little children coming up to Jesus. He's so busy. He's so important. He can't be bothered with little babies and little kids. He doesn't have time for that. He's bringing the kingdom. He's got to do big miracles. And so they said, we'll put a stop to this, We'll tell all those people to take their kids and go home. Get out of here. So they started rebuking the parents. Take your kids. Get. Go. Don't bring them. Don't bother Jesus. And Jesus saw this, and the Gospel of Mark says he was angry. And he said, stop. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And it says that he laid his hands on them and blessed them and continued in his ministry. Now that day, Jesus taught his disciples a very important lesson. That Jesus loves people no matter how old you are. 
He loves people that are really old, like your mommy and daddy. And he loves people that are really young, maybe even like your baby brother or sister. He loves people of all ages. And it was so important, he made sure it was written in three books of the Bible. And his disciples probably remembered that day, I'm pretty sure. We know this not only because it was written so many times in our Bibles, but also today in our passage, we see that one of his disciples says something very important. Today we're learning about a time after Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and then he ascended and went up to be with God the Father in heaven. And Peter, one of his disciples, was talking to many, many people. And he was doing what he was told he was supposed to do, which was to be a witness. You might remember we talked about that last week. He was telling the truth about who Jesus was and what he did. He was telling how Jesus died on the cross and how God made a promise that if we trust in Jesus and we are sorry for our sins and ask for help to change, God promises to forgive us and that he'll always be with us. And it's a wonderful promise. But Peter says this, listen. He says, this promise... It's not just for you old people. It's for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In other words, this is a promise for the whole family. Learning about Jesus isn't just for mommies or daddies. It's even for you. That is such an important lesson that God wanted it to be written down so many times and remembered in his scriptures. And if you want to hear more about this amazing promise that God would be with you and that he would forgive your sins, I'm sure your mom and dad would love to tell you about it. So make sure you ask them today. Ask them to tell you more about what it means to trust in Jesus. Well, we're going to get to that in our our big sermon today, but I want to start with a little bit of a review. We're in the second week of our series called The Essential Church. And last week we saw that the church is essential because God made it essential. God, in his mysterious and perfect wisdom, chose to use people to fulfill the final act of his salvation plan. God is choosing to use people like you and me, sinful uh, people who are saved by grace, to display his glory in the world, to talk about Jesus, of who Jesus is, and what he has done, and to gather people. That's what we're going to be seeing more of today. And so what we saw last week in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were commissioned to do this because they were eyewitnesses. They had seen Jesus' ministry from the moment he was baptized to the moment he was ascended into heaven. And Jesus made this promise right before he went into heaven. He promised that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them in just a few days. But until that time, They are to remain in Jerusalem and wait. And as the disciples are waiting, we find out that the time of Pentecost comes. This is a celebration. It's one of the three uh, uh, pilgrim festivals that happens in Jerusalem for the nation of Israel, for the, uh, the Jewish people. And so just like Passover, there were lots of Israelites, lots of Jewish people and Jewish converts who were devout, who were coming back to Jerusalem for this celebration. It was the time of the wheat harvest, okay? And so people are coming and they're celebrating uh, what God has done in the harvesting of wheat. 
And some people, one of them including St. Augustine, think that this is also a commemorative time of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. You remember Passover happened and then there was a period of time that passed and then the law was given. The Old Testament uh, records for us the Ten Commandments and how the law was given through Moses at Mount Sinai. And so one theory that St. Augustine and others believe is that this was also this special time when they're gathering and they're celebrating the wheat harvest, they're also remembering that this was when God provided the law to his people and established his old covenant with the people of Israel. And so it's very interesting as we kind of look at this time that God chose to begin a new covenant. It's very interesting to have that in the background as we're looking at this time when God sent his Holy Spirit and begins doing a new work. And that's where we're going to be picking it up this morning when all these people are gathered in Jerusalem for this special time. And we're not going to read all the names, but if you read your Bible this morning, you'll see it's pretty much everyone from all over the ancient world um, being represented here. Uh, they're, They're coming to Jerusalem for this special time. Last week, we focused primarily on the mission of the church, the essential mission, which is to bear witness And this week, what we're going to look at in more detail is how is that mission completed and what is the message that is being delivered in the witness. So we're going to see the the essential means of the mission of the church. We're going to see the essential message of the church as well. So let's begin with the essential means. The first means that show up, the power that comes is the power that was promised. It's the Holy Spirit. So we see the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit show up and is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. Listen as I begin reading for us this morning from Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. A very physical manifestation of God's presence that Luke records. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, meaning the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven... A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Let's pause there and make some observations. We see uh, that Luke records that from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the house where the disciples were. Something we need to remember is both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word for wind or spirit or breath, it's the same word. It's the same word used to describe those different things. And so what we're seeing is there's continuity between the Old Testament, that Hebrew word ruach, and the New Testament, this word uh, pneuma that is uh, is being uh, used in, in Scriptures. There's continuity in describing the special activity of God's presence. In the Old Testament, it was a noise like a rushing wind that often accompanied a manifestation of God's presence. Now we have another sign here that we see. We see divided tongues as of fire. Now, don't be thinking in your minds, normal flames, normal fire, right? If this was just normal fire, people would get burned. That would be dangerous. That would be bad. But we see here a special fire. Think about the burning bush, right? It was a manifestation of God's presence before Moses 
a bush consumed in fire but not burning. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, right? A lot of real fire in there, but they're not being burned, and there's a presence in there with them. And so what we see is a, a fire that is not normal, right? It's not consuming them. It's not setting them on fire. Um, but it is another manifestation of the Spirit's presence, as we'll see. It's interesting, the flame is described, uh, or the fire is described as a, a forked tongue or a divided tongue. And if you think about what a flame would look like, you know, it kind of looks like a serpent's tongue, the way it flickers around sometimes when you have a flame in a fireplace. But we're going to see that this forked tongue has another meaning when we get a little further in our passage. But what Luke is recording here is the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is being made known. And just like so many times in the Old Testament, God's presence was made known with the sound of rushing wind and with the appearance of special fire. He's doing it now in a different way. Before, it would always show up in a place, right? It would happen in the tabernacle. It would happen in the temple. It would happen at the burning bush on holy ground. Now it happens in people. It happens not in a place, but in His people. But not only do we see the presence of God, we also see the power of God. Let's continue reading uh, in our passage, picking up at verse 4. And the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude of them came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So we learn that these tongues uh, that the Spirit is giving power to speak are languages from where they come from. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? There's basically saying, you know, if the disciples were from where I'm from, these guys are from Pennsylvania. They're like rural Pennsylvanians. How in the world are they speaking in all these languages? How do they even know the dialects that we speak? What we see is that when Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses, he was not kidding. He was not kidding. Here we see the power. The disciples proclaimed the mighty works of God in different unlearned languages. Right? They didn't sign up for a, a Babel subscription and start learning new languages to speak in. It just came all of a sudden. The Spirit's power equipped them with this amazing gift to speak in different languages. Some say that when Jesus said, you will receive power, it's almost like he's saying, you must receive power. And what we see here is there's no way these simple Galileans would be able to speak this way if God's power was not at work within them. And so it's the first means that we are seeing is the Spirit's presence and power in the disciples. Luke's recording how this event taking place just starts drawing people in from every place of the ancient world, and they're just amazed that they're hearing these things in their native tongue. Now, if you read through your Bibles and you're reading different books of the Bible, you might be reading through books like Genesis or Deuteronomy or Jeremiah or some of the minor prophets, and you may notice something. There's, there seems to be a, a trend 
that takes place as we read through Scripture. And usually the trend is this. When God blesses people, the Bible speaks about Him gathering them. When God is judging people and punishing people, we see God scattering them. Okay, so in Genesis, you might have seen this happen in Genesis 11. Right before we learn about Abraham and the the nation of Israel that's going to be built through his offspring, we have the story of the Tower of Babel, a time when mankind is building a kingdom for its own glory. He's building a kingdom for its own glory symbolized with a tower. And God saves them from themselves by giving them different languages. He confuses their communication, gives them different languages, and they end up scattering and dispersing over the face of the earth. It's recorded in Genesis 11. In Deuteronomy, many years later, as Moses is giving his final word to the Israelites as they're about to enter the promised land after so many years of hardship and slavery and time in the wilderness, he warns them, look, as you enter this land, if you break the covenant, God will scatter you among the nations. And yet Moses also speaks of God's mercy that if they repent, they will be gathered back and restored to better than before. This same message is given over and over again in other passages of Scripture. And what we're seeing here is that this event marks a time when God's mercy is on full display, where because of what has happened to establish this new covenant, this time of restoration, God is gathering once again. He's using the languages that He once used to scatter people to gather them to Himself. And so what we're seeing is the mark of the new covenant, a new time, a new era in salvation history. Now, the people who are hearing this are wondering, they're amazed, and they're wondering, what is going on? I love this part of the story because the Bible is very real, right? We get to a part of the story where we realize, you know what? In every crowd, there's a couple sarcastic folks. In every crowd, there's a couple people who want to make a joke, even when it's really serious and good stuff's happening. And there are some of you... You know who those people are. Some of you are those people. We still love you. Um, We have some sarcastic people who basically mock what's going on, and they're like, oh, looks like they had a little too much new wine, right? Looks like somebody was helping themselves to new wine. We see that Peter decides to stand up and give witness to what is happening and why this is happening. And here we see the second essential means as Peter begins speaking He begins using Scripture. Peter is, of course, empowered by the Spirit to deliver this message and bear witness, but he's also using the sword of the Spirit. He's equipped with the Scriptures to testify to what's going on. It's important that we see the place and prominence of Scripture as Peter speaks. He's giving his own eyewitness input of what's happening, but he's running everything through the lens of Scripture. He's interpreting all of what's happening in his life through scripture. And so he tells them what they are witnessing is a fulfillment of Joel 2. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Men and women are prophesying because God is doing this big work that has been promised for so long, the restoration of Israel, that special time when a new covenant would be um, on display and God would be gathering his scattered people to himself. And so he's saying this is what is happening, but you need to know why it is happening. And so here we see the essential message of the church. As the church is called to be a witness, 
And we have the Spirit empowering us and giving us gifts for that witness. And we have the sword of the Spirit to help us in our testimony, to help us process and explain to people what is going on. The message is very clear in Acts chapter 2. Peter says that there's one name by which they can be saved. The exclusive salvation message that comes only through Jesus Christ. Peter preaches about a, a new basis, a new foundation that establishes this new covenant. It's not based on your righteousness or how well you follow the Ten Commandments. It's actually based on something that the Messiah did for you. And the Messiah has come. And that is news that needs to be shared. Salvation is offered. We can see that Peter is, is building his case for this as he cites Joel 2 and he's saying what is happening. The very last verse that Peter reads or, or recites from Joel 2 goes like this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word Lord in Joel 2 is not just the word for master. It's God's special name. It's Yahweh. It's, it's Lord in all caps. And so what Peter does is he links that verse, calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation, with the personal uh, uh, incarnate God, man, Jesus Christ. If you look in the very next verse, Peter says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter goes on and continues to preach filled with the Spirit, equipped with the Word, the sword of the Spirit. And he preaches explaining Jesus' humanity. He goes on to explain that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one, the promised descendant of David, of whom David speaks. And so he's the one who would come to fulfill the new covenant by mediating on behalf of God's people and restoring all things. And then Peter uses Scripture to explain that Jesus is not only the Christ and a man, but he's also divine. He is Lord in all caps. He cites a psalm, Psalm 110, and he says, you know, David's writing this psalm, but if we read it, it kind of is a little funny to think that David's writing this about himself. He's not writing about himself. David's over there in the grave. He's writing this about Jesus. And so Peter uses the scriptures to explain Jesus' humanity and his divinity. He is the Lord and the Christ. And we see this as it's summarized in verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The message is very clear. This is who Jesus is. And that is the name by which you can be saved. We know this because the response from all the people listening is, How can we be saved? What shall we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name 
of Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's presence in you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And I love the way it ends. 3,000 souls were added that day. As far as we know, Pentecost is a non-repeatable event. It seems to be a unique event that God used to usher in this new covenant, this new era, when the promises that Jesus proclaimed and died for and rose for are coming to fruition. The Spirit coming as divided tongues of fire and giving unlearned languages to the apostles happened only once. But that unique event still has some ripples that are happening in the church today. There's some activity from Pentecost that still exists in the church. To this day, the church continues to witness through these essential means. The church is filled and empowered by the Spirit. We have been given gifts. Some of us, not unlearned languages. We've got to do it the old-fashioned way, trying to get to know people and learn languages. But gifts for the building up of the church. Many passages in Scripture speak about this. And we are equipped with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And to this day, the church still has a central message to proclaim. The message that is salvation exclusively through Jesus Christ. Since the day of Pentecost, God has begun to take residence in the hearts of His people, gathering us from every tribe and tongue. And it's wonderful and beautiful to stand here and to look out and to see a reflection of that in our midst. This is the essential witness of the church. You can't build the church by any other means. You can't build the church upon any other foundation. The programs and ministry methods that we have to do our ministry is always second and subordinate to this mission and this message. The activities of music and fellowship and good works are always secondary and in service to this main thing, the gospel of sharing about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us. And all those things come underneath it to serve. And the Spirit provides the strength to do all those things and the gifts to accomplish them. And so the mission is still our mission. We're still the church called to be witnesses. The means are still the means. We need the Spirit's presence and power at work in us, giving us gifts to serve and build up the church. We need to rely and interpret and filter everything that we know about God through the lens of Scripture as we bear testimony to who Christ is. Because God uses the sword of the Spirit, as we saw in our passage, to cut to the heart. And the message is still the exclusive message of Jesus, the Lord and the Christ. It's not an optional message. We can't make up ways in which people draw themselves closer to God through good works or by being good people, or by having a great program and and accomplishing a wonderful environment where we're all really friendly, that stuff doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit at work. And it doesn't happen apart from the salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. And so what a great reminder it is in this time where we're debating about what's essential. What is it that the church should be doing? Well, our mission is clear. We are to be witnesses. 
And the power to accomplish that mission is also clear. We are not left to our own devices. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the gifts of the Spirit. We're given the Word of the Spirit. And we go with this central message of the truth that we know filtered through the Scriptures. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for how, even in the midst of an amazing story with things so wonderful it can be difficult to imagine, we thank You for how, Lord, there is such simple truth for us to grasp. That in over 2,000 years, some things never change with you. That we, as your people, that you have called by your grace and saved through the name of Jesus, you have declared us to also be witnesses. That it's something we can rely upon your power that you provide through the Holy Spirit. Your truth that you provide through the Word, the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would meditate on this truth. That we would always keep the main thing the main thing. That we would not be distracted by the many things that can come up in the life of the church. The different battlegrounds and battle lines that we would like to draw. You call us to one message. And that must always be first and foremost. Let all the other things come under the message that Jesus is both Lord and Christ at Church of the Atonement. Lord, in the midst of the clarity of our call, we also know, and you know, how easily we are discouraged and hurt and distracted, how difficult it is for us to deal with our anxiety and our worry, how much we are hurting as we watch loved ones who are in need of your healing touch or comfort or knowledge of you. Lord, there are many in our church who need your intervention. We pray that you would strengthen us and use our gifts to minister in your name. Help us to be your hands and feet. Lord, I do want to lift up especially our two sisters once again. I want to pray for Rhonda and for Rhonda's mom and all that is happening in that situation. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen Rhonda for this season this very difficult time. Help her to be uh, a presence of your truth and power in her family's life. And Lord, we want to lift up Robin. Lord, you know all the situation there. We pray that you would bind up Robin's family, strengthen them, and Lord, that you would be at work. Have mercy upon Robin's life. Help her to heal. Lord, help us as the church to know how we can support our sisters and the many others that you know, Lord, who are in need. There are so many bearing and carrying heavy burdens, Lord. Help them not to bear them alone. Father, for these requests and others on our hearts, we want to take the next few moments and offer our silent prayers up to you. So, Lord, hear our requests to you now.
Heavenly Father, you call us on this special day set aside for worship to rest. You call us to rest and to Sabbath. And we can do that, Lord, knowing that you continue to work and your sovereignty continues to rule. Because of your sovereign power, we can trust and not worry. We can be at peace and not be anxious. So, Lord, help us to fill up on your word, to think about things that are lovely and good and holy and righteous. And let us give all of these things and entrust them to you. For we know that we ask them in the strong, powerful name of Jesus, Lord and Christ. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing song and feel free to hum along. Uh, If you're at home, feel free to sing along as we meditate on the words of In Christ Alone.
we go from this place, church, we are essential. We are on mission. We have the means to accomplish this, and we have the message that the world needs to hear. So as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always until we meet again. Amen.